Well, it's good to be here with you on this Mother's Day. Today, I'd like to talk about a famous mother. Now, this famous mother is actually one of the people listed in a hall of fame. Um, And now, she's not in the motherhood hall of fame in New York City, uh, nor is she uh, listed in the National Cowgirl Hall of Fame. Did you know that there's a National Cowgirl Hall of Fame in the States? (laughs) That's such the weirdest thing. But apparently, it's a big deal. And uh, listed in the top 10 Hall of Fame places to see. Uh, Can you guess where it is? In Texas, of course. (laughs) And no, she's not in the National Hockey League Hall of Fame either. uh, Or the National Women's Hall of Fame. Uh, No. Uh, She's in the Biblical Faith Hall of Fame. Uh, It's found in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, she's not well-known like Sarah, one of the people who made it into the Faith Hall of Fame, Abraham's wife, or like Rahab, the prostitute who helped the spies. Uh, She's not well-known like them. In fact, she, along with her husband, are probably the least known people in this Hall of Fame. In fact, I looked on the, on the internet and I found that they listed the 16 people in the faith chapter. And they totally missed this lady and her husband. They just weren't ma- mentioned at all on the internet. But yet, there they are in the, the Hebrews 11. Um, but they've been skipped over. And that's because uh, even though they're part of the Hall of Fame, it's only their legacy that's known to us, not themselves. In fact, their names don't appear <laughs> in the list. Can you imagine being uh, awarded a place in a Hall of Fame, but they don't actually put your name down? They only put your relationship to somebody, and that's it. You see, they are named as parents in the list. And while all of us know their three children's name, uh, abs- probably none of us know both of their parents of these parents names their hall of faith entry says by faith moses's parents uh, hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict Uh, and so uh can you imagine moses's parents that's how your entry is uh great don't you like being called someone else's adjunct you know, like, I remember the first time that I was called Kendall's father. I was like, Kendall's father? Well, yeah, I guess that's who I am. But, you know, I have my own identity, you know. I'm, I'm not an appendix of Kendall's. And yet, it's, it's funny, you know. Uh, as I get older, I start to realize that, you know, I'm the old man, apparently. And uh, it's a little bit shocking the first time you hear it. And after a while, you realize that you're not the center of the world. And... It's actually your kids will become something greater than you are. And once you get used to that, you start liking the idea. Yeah, I like that idea that my kids will become greater than I will. And, and, um, and so it's amazing to think of this couple known as the parents of Moses. They get entered into the Hall of Fame not by name, but by their position as parents. Uh, what an awesome thing to be recognized as a parent Uh, and you know what they did their faith was awesome uh, and worth entry into the faith hall of fame but it's the legacy of their offspring that everybody knows about wouldn't you like to be known as the parent parents who operated by faith if you're a parent today that would be an awesome title i hope that 
I'm known as the parent, and Jennifer and I are known as parents who operated by faith. Now, we've all heard of Moses, of course, but what about the other two children? What are they called? Anybody? You know, it's, you're allowed to talk to your computer screen. It's okay. Uh, yeah, uh, we've actually, just to give you a hint, we've named one of our children after one of them. Yeah, Aaron, that's correct. And, of course, the other is Miriam. So uh, we all know uh, Miriam and Aaron and, and Moses. They're sort of household names. If, you're, if you grew up in a Christian family, you know about them. Um, but now comes a tougher one. What were Moses, Aaron, and Miriam's mother's name? Uh, some of you probably got that. I'm sure some of you got it. Ja- uh, Jacobed was her name. And now for the triple bonus score. Okay, Who was their father? Does anybody know the father? Uh, you got to write to me if somebody in your family uh, yells out the name of the father. Because I'm telling you, there's very few people who know his name. Uh, even though he's mentioned 13 times in the Bible, nobody knows who he is. It's very interesting. Uh, but if you get his name, you, sh- you should be uh, entered into the, the biblical trivia hall of fame. His name is Amram. Uh, the whole family is mentioned in Numbers 26, verse 59. Amram's wife, Jochebed, a descendant of Levi, was born to the Levites to, in Egypt. And to Aram, she bore Aaron, Moses, and their sister Miriam. Uh, that's quite a le- legacy, isn't it? To have three famous children that everybody knows about. Uh, these days, though, women want to make their own impact on the world, their own legacy. And, you know, it's not about the legacy of their children, uh, so much so that being pregnant and having children is kind of frowned upon in, fa- in favor of having a career and making a difference in the world. Well, Jochebed may not be named in the Hall of Faith Hall of Fame, but she sure made a difference in the world, didn't she? Uh, God used her faith to bring about the deliverance of Israel. In fact, to make it a nation. The deliverance of Israel didn't start with Moses. It started with this woman, Jochebed. Make no mistake, parents. You're making a difference in this world by being a a pivotal parent, uh, by being a, a, a great parent, making a difference to you your kids. So many times I've heard parents come to me, especially single parents, and they say to me, oh, I have no life. I don't know what God wants me to do in my life. Uh, I don't know what to do with my life. And my response is always, well, God has called you to be a mother, or God has called you to be a father. So first and foremost, that's who God's called you to be. Any other thing is secondary to that great and grand calling of being a parent. What a high calling. I love being a pastor. I love being a builder. I love being an evangelist. But make no mistake, my greatest pride is being a father. And and my greatest accomplishment is raising three godly offspring. I'm I'm not, if I'm not remembered for anything else, that's fine with me. But it, may my sons outshine me by far. That would be an awesome accomplishment. And personally, I think it's the greatest legacy anybody can leave. Too many times women are made to feel that they should apologize for being mothers or housewives. In reality, these roles are incredible noble callings, far greater than most careers. 
uh, I, I heard the story of Tony Campolo. He was on the U- faculty of University of Pennsylvania. And uh, there were some gatherings from time to time of the faculty, and uh, the members would bring their spouses. And uh, Peggy Campolo was often questioned, and, and what, what do you do, my dear? And Peggy, you know, a brilliantly articulate individual responds, well, I'm socializing two homo sapiens for the, in the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instructed in the transformation of the social order by the teleological prescribed utopia inherent in the Escalon. And then she would follow it up, and what do you do? And of course, the person would say, well, I'm a, a lawyer. It just wasn't that impressive anymore. <laughs> you know? <laughs> In our culture, guess what? The state wants to take over from you, mothers. They want to indoctrinate your children in the ways of the world through school and conformity to the state's set of values, not the biblical set of values. But I know that God is raising up godly mothers and fathers, godly parents who will buck the system, who will instill godly principles into their children's lives, just like Jacobet did so long ago. And we'll see that in her day, the state actually did take her child, uh, but not before he was instilled with the knowledge of God, thanks to his mother. Now here in Hebrews, as we looked in this verse, Moses' parents are praised for, for their faith that led to a, a countercultural action. But when you go back into the story in Exodus, it's fairly clear that it was the mother who was primarily taking these faith actions. Uh, uh, the, the passage start now, starts with, now a man from the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. So at least he got that far. He, he married uh, the lady. But then it says she became pregnant and she gave birth to a son and she saw that he was a fine child and she hid him three months. So pretty clear that she was the most active one in this faith action that they were doing. Now, I'm sure that dad was involved in some ways, uh, but I think it's safe to say the mother was the prime faith action taker. Interesting to note, again, in Exodus chapter 2, that these parents are not, not called by name. They don't say Jacobin in, in chapter 2 at all, nor Amram. Uh, they're just left out. And that's probably why we don't know these aren't common names that we would know. But you've got to ask yourself, why is hiding uh, Moses for three months seen as an act of faith by the writer of the Hebrews? Why wasn't it just chalked up to as natural human parental instinct to protect their child, you know? I mean, the ruler of Egypt, Egypt was this evil tyrant who demanded that the midwives kill the male, male children that they were helping deliver amongst the Israelites uh, because the Israelites become, were becoming too big of a nation. But that didn't work. And so then he issued this decree to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile. And every girl let live. Wow. Talk about scary. I mean, it seems like King Herod, the Nazis, and Pharaoh all had the same agenda. It seems like this agenda gets repeated over and over. A genocide of the Jewish people. But God is faithful each time. And he used the cruelty each time 
of these powerful leaders. The cruelty was pitted against seemingly insignificant people, but every time God used it to fulfill his eternal plans. Uh, You know, the Nile River in this case was the the habitation of the Egyptian god Sobek, the crocodile god. And so the solution of Pharaoh's woes about having this people that was too big and could turn in arms against against uh, Egypt was to offer their children to Sobek, the crocodile god of Egypt. Kind of scary, isn't it? And so in order to understand Jochebed's and Amram's faith acts, you have to realize that they were slaves. They were owned by the government. They had no rights. And when the government said to kill their babies like this, then to stand against that order meant that your own life was put in danger. And that the wrath of the cruel government would come on your own head. Babies were considered government property, not parental property. Now the Bible says that this act of hiding Moses for three months was uh, because they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now clearly there was some fear because you wouldn't hide your kid if you didn't care. So they, 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 they didn't act on fear against the pharaoh so much, however. Uh, in hiding their children, they, sh- they realized that they, they had to do the proper thing. They have to use their wits about them, not be, you know, not be silly and say, oh, well, God, look after everything. Doesn't, nothing matters. <laughs> no, we, we're required to work alongside of God. Uh, and so you see jo- Jochebed and Aram followed in the footsteps of the midwives. See, it says in chapter 1 that the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them. They let the boys live. They were told to kill off the boys, but they feared God. And so Jochebed also feared God. And that's why they defied the king's orders. Now, I love what Oswald Chambers said. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Isn't that amazing? It's the fear of God that removes our fear of other people. We honor and extol God. We don't have to worry about other things. Uh, There's really two great threats in the king's command. One is against the babies, but also against the parents. If you kill your baby, you'll live. If you don't kill your baby, your life is at risk. The point is, that the faith produced the courage to defy the king. I'm sure that the parents of Moses prayed. I'm sure that they planned. You know, we can see later in the story how they planned. But they would trust God to help them. That was the primary motivation. They had faith in God. And I may I suggest to you that Moses grew up to be a great man of faith because he saw the faith in his parents. That's who modeled faith to him. Chuck Swindoll says, To walk by faith does not mean we stop thinking. To trust God does not imply that we become slovenly or lazy or apathetic. Uh, What a distortion of biblical faith. You and I need to trust God for our finances, but that's no license to spend foolishly. You and I ought to trust God for the safety in our car, but we're not unwise, but it would be unwise to pass on blind curves. We trust God for our health, but that doesn't mean we can chain smoke, stay up half the night, subsist on potato chips and Twinkies uh, without any consequences. 
Faith and careful planning go hand in hand. They always have. Faith and action go together. In the book of James, James says, Faith without works is dead. So don't tell me that you have faith in God to bless your children and to guide your children when you don't do anything, everything in your power to bless your children and to guide your children yourself. Faith in God equals a partnership with God. And believing, and believe me, parenting is that partnership. Uh, and when you do it together, faith and works comes together. And your children will bless the Lord. So after three months of hiding, jo- jo- hiding Moses, Jochebed realizes that if she keeps him at home, Pharaoh's sh- soldiers are going to show up and they're going to execute him. So what does she do? Well, she follows the crazy king's orders. She puts the child in the Nile River. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. It's, it's not tossed in like some piece of garbage, uh, but nevertheless put in the river. Uh, and there's some irony in this story. She fashions this little basket from uh, reeds, and, uh, and she wanted, I guess, to protect the baby from the crocodiles. She waterproofs it with tar and resin, and she lays it in the reeds by the river's bank. There's some great humor here. Uh, did she know that the bathing habits of Pharaoh's daughter? We don't really know. Did she receive some kind of message from God, send, put the baby in the river? We don't know. Was it just a plan of desperation? <laughs> very possibly, very probably. I don't know, just going to put him in the river. Uh, but we're told that when, the Pharaoh, when Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river and her maidens were walking along the riverbank, uh, she saw the ark amongst the reeds. And uh, she asked her maid to go get it. And the maid got it. And when she opened the ark, she saw the baby. And the baby was crying. And, and she had compassion on the baby. And, uh, and, and she said, this is one of the Hebrew children. And then uh, Miriam, Moses' sisters, runs up. She, Miriam was told to watch over the baby while he was in the river. And so Miriam runs up to Pharaoh's daughter, and I don't know if she was told to say this or she was a very clever lady, but she says to to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go call a nurse from among the Hebrew women so that she might nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter says, oh yeah, go. And so uh, Miriam goes and calls her own mom. I told you there was some irony in the story. So Miriam brings back Jochebed and... uh, and uh, and Pharaoh's daughter says, here, take this child, her own son. You know, of course, Pharaoh's daughter doesn't know this. And says, can you nurse this child for me? I'll pay you. <laughs> Talk about irony. Here she is. She's supposed to throw away this child. Now she's being paid to look after the child. <laughs> uh, only God can come up with uh, things like this, you know. And so Jacobet is now given two to three years to nurse this child. And it's also two to three years to instill a love for God and his people and godly principles into this child. That's a tall order. To give a child the fear of God before he turns five? Oh, that is a very tall order. But check out the end of the story from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. 
Why in the world did he do that? Why would he do that? Because somebody instilled in him the concepts of the pleasures of sin being wrong and 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 who God's people were, that there was a people of God. Somebody instilled that into him. Somebody instilled into him this knowledge that, that the people of God had the promises of God, that God was working through the patriarchs. Somebody instilled that in him. And esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the, the riches of, of the treasures of Israel. What, what reproaches of Christ? What's that all about? Well, you see, when, when the people, God's people are reproached, that's the, peop, the reproach of God himself. Greater than the riches of Egypt. Who instilled these ideas in this young man's head? For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. What? First of all, there's a sort of an oxymoron there. How do you see someone that's invisible? But, but the writer of the Hebrews realized that Moses had this understanding of the unseen God. Where did he get that understanding? He was schooled in all the ways of Egypt. He was schooled with all the gods of Egypt. But somehow, deep down from his youngest days, he knew that there was an unseen God that was guiding him. Things turned out all right for for Moses. What was so powerful about Jochebed and Aram that made such a huge impact on Moses that he would reject the pleasures of Egypt? And choose to suffer along with his people. I can only imagine what what uh, what went on. In fact, we have scarcely scarce detail about the time uh, when Moses was with his his mom. We really don't know. But I I believe that his that his parents impacted his life in a number of ways. The first is that they lived in the culture of slavery and death. And yet they chose life. Maybe other Hebrews were willing to sacrifice their children for the sake of a smoother life, but not these parents. No. Let's face it today. We live in a culture of death. We live in a world where the most dangerous place to be is in a mother's womb. A place that should be the safest is the most dangerous place. We live in a world where not every pregnant woman wants to be a mother. And we live in a culture that allows women to take away the life of their child. You know, on average, women give three reasons for choosing an abortion. Three quarters of them say that having a baby would interfere with work, school, or other responsibilities. Oh dear, babies are troublesome. What? Three quarters say they can't afford a child. Oh, they're expensive. And a half say they don't want to be a single parent or have, or, or, or have problems finding a mate or, or, or their, their husbands or their, their mates are, are putting pressure on them. Oh. Every year about 100,000 children are murdered this way in Canada. And this has been going on for decades. Just think. In the last 14 years, children equivalent to the whole population of Ottawa, all 14 years and under, are missing from Canada, killed by their parents and doctors. That's a culture of death. 
It's just too easy to do away with an unwanted child. But the parents of Moses reacted in faith. You see, they saw something in their child right away. I believe what they saw in their child was the image of God. That's what I believe. Uh, The Bible describes it in many different ways. Uh, In our passage today, uh, from Hebrews 11, verse 23, uh, uh, Moses' parents saw in him that he was no ordinary child. What does that mean? Well, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 2, he's called a fine child. In in Acts 7, verse 20, he's called... uh, It says that he was fair in the sight of God. And this, these things get translated as that he was a proper child, that he was exceedingly fair, that he was a goodly child, that he was a fine child, all these different translations. Um, but what I believe that they're all boiling down to is that, well, that Moses' parents saw what every parent sees in their child, that there's one who was created with a divine purpose in mind. The creation of a child is a creation by God, and he has God's stamp and image all over him. And just, I have never met a parent who said, oh, well, we have an ugly child. It just doesn't happen. They never say that. They, they look at their kid, and they immediately go like, whoa, this is a fine child. doesn't matter what they look like. They're just saying, this is a, what they're saying is the image of God and the creative power of God. Um, do you remember the former uh, governor of Alaska and vice president candidate, Sarah Palin? She discovered that she was pregnant with her fifth child at age 43 when she was uh, at a conference in New Orleans in 19, 19, uh, 2007. Uh, and after she returned to Alaska, they had a test, and it revealed that her child had Down syndrome. Um, She said that gave her pause. And I'd like you to just see her response to this event happening in her life uh, in an interview with Barbara Walters. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Vargas, and this is 2020 in Touch. A little more than a year ago, few people outside Alaska had heard of Sarah Palin. Now she's a household name, and still many believe the future hope of the Republican Party. Barbara Walters has a revealing interview with Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin and her husband Todd have five children. The youngest is 19-month-old Trig, who was born with Down syndrome. I love you. 90% of pregnant women who learn they are carrying a Down syndrome baby have an abortion. When you heard that you were going to have a Down syndrome child, you said, I'm not sure that I can handle this. Did you think then, even for a second, about aborting that baby? I knew that the option was there, and that, Barbara, when I got those results back from the amniocentesis that showed, yes, he had an extra chromosome, I thought, again, for that split second, okay, now I know, too, why, when that fear strikes you because of the unknown, why a woman would consider it an easier path to perhaps, if you will, do away with the problem instead of understanding that every child has purpose. There is destiny 
for every child, and it can be good in our world. And that's what I held on to. Uh, that, of course, that was recorded 12 years ago. Uh, didn't happen last year, like at the beginning of the video. But I love what she said, you know. This idea of doing away with a problem instead of understanding that every child has a purpose. Well, Moses' parents held on, must have had the same idea. Our child has a destiny, and it must be good because it's God's destiny. And so I just challenge anyone who is, uh, has uh, a uh, Down syndrome child. Uh, I just, if you've ever heard of, uh, oh, what's her name now? Um, Christina Laws, uh, no, Christina Fass. <laughs> Uh, testimony about being Down syndrome and having a, a purposeful life that she gave to Parliament. Just, just a powerful speech begging for the lives of her kindred people who are Down syndrome. Begging for their lives. It's such a sad thing that people have to beg for their own lives, for the lives of people like themselves who have Down syndrome. But what a blessing. Uh, Christine uh, Fast and uh, um, Ben Ben Kale. I don't know why these these names are not coming to me. But to know these kids and to see their love for the Lord and uh, amazing. So, getting back to the story, the third thing that uh, these parents gave to their children is that they passed on a heritage. A heritage from their, their parenthood. A legacy, really. The parents of Moses taught the truth when they saw the opportunity. It may have only been two to four years, but we can only assume that they put into practice the things that God confirmed through Moses himself later on. Moses would actually write these things down. Maybe he was realizing that this is actually what happened to him before he was five years old. Uh, and this is what he says to the children of Israelites. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Uh, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Uh, tie them as symbols on your foreheads. Bind them, I'm sorry, as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your, of your houses. Wow. You got to wonder if these things were done to this four-year-old boy, and he remembered and he realized that his parents were in, were basically instilling in him a concept of God. What would you do if you knew that everything your child might know about God you had to cram into their head before they're age five? Parents, grandparents, we need to seize the opportunity that God provides to pass on our faith to our kids. Proverbs 22, verse 6 offers this instruction. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. I love this. This idea, the word training. Uh, you know, the midwives use this word for, for babies when they're born. They would take their, their finger and dip it into a, a little bit of crushed dates, sweet crushed dates, and they would put their finger in the, in the child's mouth. And, and massage their gums. And this would cause the baby to start to suck and want to, to actually train them to create in them a thirst for the mother's milk. What if Jochebed did decide not to train her child? What if she did just said, oh, well, he'll figure it out on his own. He'll decide for himself. 
Well, he would have been indoctrinated with all of the, the theory and logic of Egypt. And he would have been totally messed up and would have been no value. Jochebed reminds us that if we do not reach our children with a biblical value system, they will get their value system from the world. Moses would have gotten his value system from Egypt, but he didn't. He got it from his mother. We need to train them in the way they should go. And even all the enticements of the world will not rip that faith from them. In the brief time that Jochebed had Moses, she created him a desire for the things of God. And he never got over that. Nobody just takes the place of a preschooler's mother. Nobody. Parents are the best thing that you can give to your children is yourself. Uh, It's not possessions. It's not education. It's faith. That's the best thing that you can give to your kids. Faith that leads them to thirst, to long for God. And then that will cause God to be able to come into their life and use their God-given talents and gifts and abilities for God's purposes. So finally, the, the, the other thing that these parents found out is that God was faithful. God can be trusted. When they went out on a limb, decided to hang on to this baby, to embrace life, to... Uh, give it to God, God turned out to bless them. And by and when we read in Hebrews, the way Moses turned out, um, he turned out to be an awesome man of God. And so today, you know, he would refuse to have the identity of Pharaoh's daughter's son. No, that's not me. I'm going to be part of this maligned people group over here. You know, I pray that my children will have the courage to stand up and say, no, I don't want to be known as the popular kid in the world's eyes. I want to, I want to align, myself, align myself with the forsaken people of God, with the maligned people of God. That's who I'm going to align myself with. Children need more than the material things of life. Children need to have inspiration and guidance to do spiritual things. The greatest responsibility we have as parents is to raise your children to trust in Christ. If you see, succeed in that, you succeeded at everything. Nothing else matters. Not education, not work, not success in this material world. None of that matters. What matters is eternal life, eternal joy, and a heart longing for God. Parents, your children are watching you. The decisions you make, the choices you make, the sacrifices you make, the way you face challenges, the way you treat people, the way you talk about God, the way you walk in your life, all of this is forming their character. And uh, don't fail them. I would wager that many men of faith, men and women of faith, were greatly influenced by their parents, like... uh, Moses' mother, Jochebed. So I want to leave you with this interesting story. There was this family that went to uh, have their child dedicated on a Sunday morning. And uh, there was two kids in the family, a baby and this younger boy named Jimmy. 
And after the service on the way home, Jimmy was, was pouting in the back seat. And, and mom, and then finally he started crying. And mom's like, what's the matter, Jimmy? What's wrong with you? And, and Jimmy blurts out, well, the preacher said that we, we have to live in a Christian family, but I want to live in your family. <laughs> so, friends, make sure that your kids want to live in your Christian family. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we pray that we would live up to these standards that Jacobed give us, this faith in you, that no matter what this world is saying about our kids, no matter what the trajectory of this, this culture of death we're in, Lord, we are living a life of love and, and a life of honor towards you. And so I pray, Lord, for all of the mothers and fathers in our congregation, Lord, may they pass on the faith to their children when they're very young, Lord. May we pass on our faith to them. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.